This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I want to start this morning in Romans chapter 8. There's been a phrase that's been rolling around in my heart for the last, well, several days. Most of the week, actually, I guess. And so I just want to start with verse 29, and we'll see where the Holy Ghost takes us from there. Now, I'm going to rip a scripture way out of context. Maybe later in the service, we'll go back and pick up the context. But I'm going to start in verse 29. It says, for whom he, God, did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. There's a lot of things that we could say about this, uh, this scripture, and, and uh, depending on your religious training, religious upbringing type circumstances, there may be certain words that grab you or jump out at you like predestinate. <clears throat> and the issue of predestination is, is, has been argued forever and probably always will be. This scripture tells us that God predestined mankind to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, the word predestined means to predetermine. And so a lot of people have the idea that God predetermines who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved and so forth. But the Bible says Jesus died for the sins of the world. It says he was crucified from before the foundations of the world to pay the price for sin for everybody. Now, if God's picking winners and losers in the game of eternity then why would Jesus have to die for everybody's sins? He could have just died for the ones that were going to be saved and leave it at that. But the Bible tells us too much about man's free will and choice for us to accept that. Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come unto me. So it's up to the individual's will. He said, whoever comes to him, he would in no wise cast out. So the determination of whether or not we're born again isn't it with God? Jesus paid the price for anybody and everybody. That choice is with us. The Bible tells us, Jesus said this in a couple of occasions. He said, many are called, but few are chosen. What does that mean? Well, calling means invitation. The Bible tells us specifically that everybody's invited to know Jesus. But whether or not they choose determines whether or not they're considered to be the chosen. So let me read this to you again. For, and it has to do with previous scriptures, meaning because, whom God did foreknow, he also did predestine or predetermine to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What this scripture is telling us is that God predetermined you to be like Jesus. He predetermined anybody and everybody that receives Jesus into, into their heart, receives him as Lord and Savior. He predestined, he predetermined them to be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed 
to the image of his son. Now we know in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 at the, in the creation account, God said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the earth, over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. God's original plan, which is without, I mean, there's no way you can dispute it. It's too clear to argue. God's original plan was to make man in his, in his image an exact copy of himself for the purpose of having dominion and authority here on the earth. Now, we know that man fell in the Garden of Eden. They listened to the lies of the devil and disobeyed God. The one thing, the only one thing God said was don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they did. And we know that spiritual death came upon the whole earth, all of mankind through that one sin of Adam and Eve. But did God's purpose change? See, in the beginning, before the fall, Adam and Eve were in the image of God. They were made exact copies of God himself. One translation says, so he created them male and female. This is first, uh, verse 27 of Genesis 1, I guess. In the image of God made he them, male and female, he made them to be like himself. Well, what did God think that meant? What should we understand that God did mean from that? Well, the Bible says in the previous verse, verse 26 of Genesis 1, that he created us to have dominion. Folks, God never changes. That means his will never changes. That means if it was his will for man to have dominion on the earth in the beginning, it's his will for man to have dominion on the earth now. I used to think man lost his authority when he fell. But is the work of the devil strong enough to detour God's plans, to alter God's intent? I don't believe so. Man didn't lose his authority. He lost the source or the origin of that authority. See, man was given authority on the earth in the beginning because he was made in the image and likeness of God. He had his authority because he was a righteous man, a holy man, just like God is a holy God. And that was the source of his dominion. That was the source of his authority. Well, Jesus came to restore that. He didn't come to restore man's authority on the earth. Man never lost it. He came to restore man's source or origin or foundation for that authority. Now, what does it mean to be conformed to the image of God? Turn with me to two scriptures. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, and then we'll also look at Luke chapter 10. I think a lot of times we fail to realize what it is exactly that God wants us to be conformed to. Notice in uh, Matthew chapter 10, it says, speaking of the disciples, when he called unto him his 12 disciples, Jesus gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. What sickness or disease were the disciples not given authority to heal? Where was the limit of their authority? Well, it says all manner of sickness and all manner of disease, so there was no limit. There was no limit whatsoever. Then it tells us what their names were. Skip down with me to verse 5. It says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and in any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, 
saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. I want you to notice Jesus is saying he's given them something that they're supposed to give away. He gave them something. We know it from verse 1 that he gave them power and authority over sickness and disease, every sickness and disease, and to cast out devils. He said, freely you've received. It didn't cost them anything to get that. So freely give. It tells them, provide neither gold nor silver, nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his, of his meat. He's saying, I'll take care of you when you go. You don't need a U-Haul trailer to get out there. And into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who it is, who in it is worthy, and there abide till you go thence. And when you come into a house, salute it, and if the house be worthy of your peace, if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it not be worthy, let your peace return unto you. And whatsoever city or whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Folks, the point that I want to make to you from reading those things is that Jesus said the only requirement, the only prerequisite, the only criteria for doing what I've given you to do, for healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out lepers, using the authority and exercising the authority that has been given to you freely, the only requirement is for the city or for the people to receive you. That's it. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Verse 1, after these things, the Lord appointed the other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. Therefore he said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes or salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house, and into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you. Jesus is saying the same thing to the 70 as he said to the 12. Into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you. Eat such things that are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you not, Go your ways out into the streets of the same and say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaveth upon us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be you sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh or near unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. So I want you to see the same thing that Jesus is saying to the twelve. He said to the seven, uh, I'm sorry, the same thing he said to the, to, I'll get it right in a minute. What he said to the 12, he said also to the 70. And everything hinges on one and only one criteria, and that is for the people to receive them. Join us for our Christmas Eve candlelight service with Pastor Mike Webb. 
Christmas is a special time here at Foothill Family Church. We wanted to take this time to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for our special Christmas Eve celebration where we celebrate the birth and the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We hope you can join us this Christmas. Again, that's the Christmas Eve candlelight service at 6 p.m. December 24th at Foothill Family Church. For more information, go to www.mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now, the authority that he gave him over sickness and disease isn't in question. Whether or not they had authority over every sickness and every disease was not in question. The only thing that made the difference, the only thing that would hinder it from working is the people receiving them not. Now, folks, I would submit to you that these people's lives were conformed. There's a big change in these guys. Not only the 12, but also the 70. They didn't have power over sickness and disease before. There's nothing they could do to overpower or cast out devils. Previously, Jesus gave them something that they were supposed to give away, and that was the power over sickness and disease and the evil spirits. Now, turn with me, uh, go with me a little bit further into the chapter, verse 17. It tells us that the 70 came back again. Notice what they said. Verse 17, Luke chapter 10, and the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Now, if you'll go back and compare Mark, uh, Matthew 10 with the first verses of Luke chapter 10, you'll find out that Jesus said something to the 12 about having authority over evil spirits. But he didn't say a word to the 70 about that. Not a word. So when they come back, they seem to be excited about something and the success that they had that went even further than what Jesus told them. The 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And Jesus responded unto them, saying, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power. The word power is literally the word authority. I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power. Now, this word power means ability. It's a different word. I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power, ability of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Then he says something kind of interesting. Verse 20, he said, Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, folks, doesn't it seem to you, just like it seems to me, that most of the church is trying to do something to overcome the devil in their lives? Jesus said, that's small potatoes. He said, that's, the, that's the, the baseline stuff. Don't even get excited about that. What's he telling them to focus on? He's telling them to focus on the fact that they have authority because of their relationship with him. He says, the thing to rejoice about is not that you can command evil spirits to leave or take authority over the devil. Rejoice because of who you are in Christ. Now, they couldn't even be saved at that point because Jesus hadn't been to the cross and hadn't been resurrected. So they're operating under the old covenant, which the Bible says isn't nearly as good as what we've got. But notice the confirmation or the conforming results 
that take place in these men. Their lives were altered because God gave them something. Through Jesus, God gave them power over sickness and disease. Now, some people would look at this and say, well, yeah, but those are the ones that were apostles, the 12 in Matthew chapter 10. And the 70, they were just specific or a a special group that operated with Jesus during the time that he was here on the earth. But folks, I want you to understand, they didn't have anything more in in the area of authority over sickness and disease than you and I have. Look at it like this. A race car driver has the same driver's license you and I have. Now, my driving is primarily for me and my family. It's used in a personal way. A race car driver does his driving for show. Same driving. Same ability to drive or same privilege to drive by virtue of the driver's license that is issued to us. So you can't look at somebody like the apostles or somebody else that has a healing ministry and say, well, yeah, they've got something special, though. Well, they've got the same driver's license as you do. They've got the same spiritual license or authority over sickness and disease that every child of God has. Their use of that may be in a more public context, but it's the same authority that you and I have. Same exact authority. So Paul is writing to the church, again back to Romans chapter 8. Paul's writing to the church that we would be conformed, changed to the image of his dear son. Changed, altered in every way to be like Jesus. And is that not the picture that Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 10 paints for both the 12 and the 70? These are men that are fishermen, Workers, tax collectors, menial jobs in many cases, whose lives were altered because Jesus delivered unto them the same thing he's delivered unto us, authority over sickness and disease. God wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. He wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. He predetermined before the foundations of the world, before the plan ever came about for Jesus to die for the sins of the world, he predetermined that you and I would have authority over sickness and disease. He predetermined that we would stand in the place of authority and dominion here on the earth that he originally intended when he created Adam and Eve. He's predetermined that, folks. If he predetermined it, who can change it? If God established this as the way that things were going to be, Who can change that? Does the devil have the power to change that? Who does? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, 29, 30, around there, he said, come unto me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. The thing that we're supposed to be hooked up with or yoked with Jesus to do is to learn of him. 
Now, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but both in Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 10, Jesus told the disciples and told the 70 the same thing about what to preach. He told them to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus didn't even tell his disciples to go preach about me. He never told his disciples, go tell everybody that I'm the Messiah and that I'll be coming their way soon. He sent them into cities before he got there, telling them to preach the kingdom of God is coming near. Now, for us, it's already come. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, says that God has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, if that's not the kingdom of God, I don't know what it would be. The kingdom of his dear son, Jesus being the son of God, would have to be the kingdom of God, wouldn't it? And the Bible says that we've already been placed in that kingdom of God. And the disciples in the 70 went out preaching just that the kingdom of God was coming soon. It was near to the earth. It was as near as the three years that Jesus spent on the, in public ministry before he went to the cross and was raised from the dead. That's how close they were. And that's all they preached. It dawned on me not too many years ago that I had a completely wrong idea about what the disciples in the 70 did when they went out and preached. It occurred to me when I saw that Jesus had to not tell his disciples a lot of things because they couldn't bear it. They couldn't hear it, wouldn't accept it. And there were other times where he upbraided them for their unbelief, not believing in the things that he said would come to pass and so forth, including the resurrection. So if I may be so bold as to say, the disciples were pretty much clueless throughout the whole three years of Jesus' time here on the earth. Even when Jesus comes to the cross, the few days before that, they asked him things about, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? They didn't understand that it was a spiritual kingdom. So for Jesus to put the 12 and the 70 out there, telling people about something that would benefit them and further God's plan, he picked people that didn't seem to know anything. He picked people that didn't have a clear understanding of what his purpose was, what he was here on the earth or sent here on the earth to do. Yet the same phrase is used for both groups, the 12 and the 70. Preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of God is at hand. Now we know that healing the sick must be a part of the kingdom of God because that's what he told them to do if the people received them. Seems like most of the ministry today is trying to talk people into receiving which is not what he told the disciples of the 70 to do. He didn't say try to convince people. He said preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If they receive you, the responsibility is on them. If they receive you, then heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead. How did we get to where we are today? How did we get to the place where it's more about persuading people, talking them into receiving instead of just throwing it out there and saying, here it is. 
I think too often we're trying to explain things or trying to persuade people into believing things that the Bible says instead of just saying the Bible says it. Jesus is risen from the dead. The Bible says we have authority over sickness and disease. So it's true. The Bible says we have authority to cast out devils and to exercise that authority over the devil in every area of our life. It's the proclamation of the gospel, what we call preaching of the gospel, the telling people the good news that you have authority over sickness and disease. That's what sets people free. That's what sets people free. Now, I've thought in times past that I may be at a little bit of a disadvantage because I'm not a preacher, I'm a teacher. And a teacher does explain stuff. But Paul wrote to Timothy and told him to do the work of an evangelist, which means he wasn't one. But he said, do the work of an evangelist. What does the evangelist do? He proclaims the good news that the price has been paid. He proclaims the good news that we're free because of what Jesus did. He proclaims the good news, the sickness and disease has no place in you because his power has been broken through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sickness and disease has no power over you. The devil has no power over you. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now turn back with me to Romans chapter 8. Let's see if we can put that verse of scripture or those two verses of scripture back in context. Romans chapter 8, we start reading in verse 29 before. Let's back up a few verses. Verse 22 says that the whole creation, meaning the earth, groaneth and travailing in pain and, uh, together until now. Verse 23 says, and not only the creation, the earth itself, that's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, but we ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting to be, for the adoption which is the redemption of our body. Then verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities or weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. So the, the concept <clears throat> or the thing that ties all these scriptures together is that man is in a fallen state. Mankind is in a fallen state, just like the earth is in a fallen state. Now, for us that are born again, the only result of that fallen state is the sin that's in our flesh. And we groan within ourselves, waiting for the good news that we've been told about a redeemed body and our presence in heaven with the Father. We search for that. We look for that, just like the earth does too. One of the first things that God requires of us when we come into his family is to renew our minds to the word of God. That means to find out from God's word who we are in Christ and what he's purchased for us through his sacrifice. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb.
when we talk about things like that, it seems in one sense that God's at a disadvantage. But that's only because we haven't found out the greater one and how much greater the greater one is in us than he that's in the world. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.